0: Good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody doing today? Yes! I feel like we like, lost a little sleep last night collectively as a church. Feels like, or maybe we missed the coffee this morning. Um, everybody doing okay? You're here. You're vertical. I mean, we're going to dive into God's Word today. I'm glad that you're here. I want to say uh, a, a special uh, welcome to all those who are joining us online. Hey, if you're in the room, will you, will you put your hands together and let the folks that are online know that you, you love, glad that they're with us and joining in and tuning in today. Um, and I want to start today really simply and just tell you, church, I love you. I don't tell you enough uh, how much I love you. Uh, I, I know uh, that, 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 that you guys, uh, we're all kind of in this weird journey and we're all still trying to figure out what life is as we're hopefully beginning to think about a post-COVID world. I know it's been difficult. Um, we're looking at summer, and I don't know what your plans are for the summer. And anyway, you just been, you are heavy on my heart this week, and I was praying for you. And I just want you to know that your pastor loves you, uh, and I've been praying for you, and I'm thankful and honored to be your pastor. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here today, because we're gonna be continuing uh, in a series. And I wanna get back, I'll, I'll dive into that in depth in just a second. But before I do, I just wanna remind us, um, our word for the year is the comeback. And we started this year uh, in this theme. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and check it out. Our first message series. And, and uh, man, we are just believing that, that in Jesus, when we read the Bible, this trend that the best is yet to come is true. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, and, and it just, it, 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 things will appear to get worse, but in Jesus, things will only get better. That's the hope that we have. We believe that, that the cross was bad and the day between the cross and the resurrection was awful, but the resurrection happened and it made things better. And we believe, we're crazy enough to believe that he's gonna come back, he's gonna make it all better when he comes back to be king. And so um, I just wanna remind, you, I wanna keep that in front of us. This is our vision for the year. One of our initiatives uh, is in a world that there's so much we can't control. We learned that we can't control how we love one another. And we talked about that in the context of unity. We want to build more unity amongst us as a church, as a church family, and, and, and we identified that by saying we want to do, we want, we want to make sure that every single person that walks through the doors of our church feels seen, feels known, and feels loved. And if you're part of the church, hey, I just want to keep this in front of you, I just want to remind you, you can, you can you, you, it's not something that I do, it's not something that the staff does, it's something that we as a family decide to do. Um, so, hey, go out of your way today, and, and, and if you see somebody that you've never met before or introduced yourself to at church, hey, before you leave today, say hello. Uh, you want you to make sure that they're known, ask them a couple of questions about who they are, what their story is, and if you get a chance, maybe ask how you can pray for them. Let's just keep this at the forefront of our mind as we're continuing through this year. We're, we're in week four of our series, I'm Losing My Religion, and this is a teaching series that's designed to help people realize that it's a good thing to lose our religion, in fact, well, we've been learning that God has actually been waiting a really, really long time for us to lose our religion so that we can gain a relationship with Jesus. And I hope that you've been blessed and challenged and encouraged by this series. Uh, as we begin to prepare this series, God, God put specific people in my heart, people at one point that had some connection to church but, but are now struggling with the idea of church. Or maybe, maybe you've come back and you're reconsidering. And, and that's really what this message series is designed to do. Um, today, I want to talk about faith. I like to think that I'm not the only one that has ever struggled with faith, had questions about faith, maybe even doubted your faith. I remember when I was a kid, I was about 12 years old. My family went camping and uh, and we were going for a walk. And I remember asking my mom and my stepdad, actually, it was just me and my mom that were on this walk. My stepdad wasn't, he was fishing, I think. And so my mom and I were on this walk. I was 12 years old and, and I'm you know I'm at kind of that critical stage in life where I'm starting to you know, beginning to learn how to think for myself. I've been talking for myself for a while and got myself in trouble for it many times, but I'm learning how to think for myself. And I remember asking my mom, Mom, why do you believe in Jesus? And she went down and gave me a great answer and that was backed by Bible verses and scripture and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, that's fine and good, but how do you know, like, outside of the Bible, why do you believe in Jesus? And, and, and she said, well, I, you know, I, I, I believe in the Bible and the Bible tells me all that I need to know about Jesus. And that's not a bad answer. Like I, I'm not, I don't want to be harm or heart or critical towards my mom in any way. But in that moment, honestly, I was a little frustrated because, because I was looking for something that was just outside of because the Bible says so as a reason for me to believe in Jesus. And I, I I spent a couple of years really kind of struggling with my faith and, and wrestling with my faith. And now that I'm a little older, can I be honest with? You, even though that I'm older, I'm a pastor. Um, man, I'll just be honest with you. I still at times struggle with my faith. There are things that I read in the Bible that I go, I don't like that. There's things that I see in the world that's hard for me to reconcile. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable that you're at a church today where a pastor's saying that sometimes he, he wrestles with his belief in this Jesus thing. And if that's the case, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I, I'm, I'm not the one that's trying to impress you. I'm just trying to tell you how much I need Jesus because he continues to meet me in my unbelief and help me to believe. If you've grown up around church, you've grown up around uh, uh, religious people, um, then, then, then sometimes asking these kind of questions can make you feel shame. Because you're asking questions that challenges belief. You're asking questions that challenge what we as a family have been doing for a long time. Or maybe you talk to a, a, a pastor or a priest or whatever, and, 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 and sometimes what you feel on the other side of those questions is shame. Or maybe what you feel is kind of what I felt in that conversation with my mom where I was just frustrated. Like I didn't really feel like the answer is really satisfied, like an itch that you can't fully scratch, it just felt like it didn't satisfy what I was looking for. In this series, we've been challenged to let go of religion and to hold on to Jesus, and so I think today that we have to ask the question, how does Jesus feel when we have questions? What's Jesus's response when we get to situations where we're like, is this even real? Because if we're led to believe what so many religious people say, if we're to judge it off of their reaction, off of their facial expression, off of the way that they treat us, when we begin to ask some really honest questions, maybe sometimes some hard questions, then we could be led to believe that Jesus is really upset and angry with us and he, he casts shame on us for asking those questions. And so today I wanna dive into this and I wanna unpack it and a message that I've titled, What's Your Question? Because I believe that Jesus is going to help us to see today that he wants us to ask the questions. Luke 7 is where we're going to land. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Or We're going to be going to a couple of different places, but we're going to land in Luke chapter 7. Um, if you don't, it's okay, we're gonna have the verses on the screen. And here's what we're gonna say, we're gonna see, we're, come across a, we're gonna come across somebody today who asked this question, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter seven, in the second half of verse 19, and, and this person asked Jesus, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And what's behind this question is basically, this person is saying, listen, are you everything that you're cracked up to be? Because the the, the the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures promised that there was going to be a rescuer, a Messiah, a redeemer that was going to come and rescue us and was going to lead us out of captivity and, and, and lead us into a place where things were better. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, the question, are you the one that I thought you were or was I mistaken? Are you not what I thought you were? Are you not who I thought you were? Are you not what I was led to believe that you were? Should I be looking for someone else, should I be looking for something else? And if we're honest today, we've all been in places, or most of us have been in places, we've, even, we've asked some really difficult questions, we've come to a crisis of faith, and we've looked at Jesus, and we have thought, is he really all that he's cracked up to be? Should I be looking for what I'm trying to find in Jesus? Should I be looking for somebody else? Should I be looking somewhere else? Some, sometimes the place that we look is in another relationship. Sometimes the place we look is in another job, another career. Sometimes we're in a relationship. Sometimes we're married and we think that, man, this isn't working out for us. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel, I don't feel fulfilled. I need to start looking outside of the marriage for this satisfaction. And all of it ultimately is connected in, Jesus, are you who you said you were? Can you do what the Bible says that you can do? Can you lead me to a life that you said was supposed to be abundant? In order to understand how and why Jesus responds to this question the way that we do, we have to to ask the question, who is the person that asked the question? Why are they asking this? What are the events that have led up to this? And then ultimately, most importantly for us, how does Jesus respond? And so I wanna unpack this today by looking at who is asking the question. The person asking this question is a man named John the Baptist. Now, if you've grown up in church, that name means something to you. If you're here today and maybe you didn't grow up in church or maybe you're unfamiliar with who John the Baptist is, then I want to kind of, I want to I peel the layers back a little bit to help us understand John the Baptist because if we don't understand who John the Baptist is, then we can't understand the significance of the question or the way Jesus responds to it. And so I want to walk you through the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, was an interesting dude, to say the least. He was the cousin of Jesus. And he had an unusual uh, connection to Jesus. He was born in obscurity to a man who was a priest in the temple and a woman who had been barren all of her life. They were older, they were advanced in years, and, and, and they were surprised when they found out that, that they were gonna be pregnant. Matter of fact, an angel is the one who comes and announces to John's mom and John's dad that they're gonna have a baby. And when he does, this is what the angel says. In Luke chapter one, verse 14, it says, and you, this is an angel speaking to John's dad, Zacharias, he says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. At the announcement of the birth, Jesus is telling or uh, the angel is telling Zechariah and his wife that their son is gonna be special. Now, a little side note. Every parent thinks their children are special, okay? Every parent thinks my kids are God's gift to humanity and your kids suck. We don't say it that way. You would never go up to, hey, girl, how you doing? Look at Johnny. Your kids look ugly on Easter. My kid is so cute, way cuter than your kids. We don't say that because that would be improper. But we're going to be honest in God's house today and somewhere deep down in the inside. It's not, it's not that we hate other children. We just know that there's no way that God could love them as much as he loves mine. We reserve the right to hate our children when they do stuff that makes us angry. But in this situation, John really is special. He has a special announcement, not only a special announcement, he has a special role. He's going to have a special role in the unfolding story in the plan of God. We're going to learn about that special role in just a minute. And then because of his special role, God actually declares a vow on the child. This is highly unusual in the pages of scripture, that, that oftentimes someone will make a vow to God. But in this situation, God is basically declaring the vow on John's life that he's not gonna have wine or strong drink because, because God has set him apart for something and God, is, God doesn't want him to become tainted. He doesn't want him to get consumed with any of the ways of the world. So he is, he's gonna require this vow of John. Not only do we learn this about John, we also learn that John has a special role, he has a special vow, but he also has a special connection to Jesus. When Jesus' mother Mary finds out she's gonna get pregnant, she later goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John's mom. Once you notice what happens, as soon as Mary busts in the door, all right? This is what happens. In Luke chapter one, verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, John, leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this isn't just the baby has gas or it was Braxton Hicks or anything like that. This was like discernible difference. Jessica's had three kids and I can remember some days where Jessica'd be like, oh my gosh, this baby is like, I don't know what it's doing but it's like killing me. She got really pregnant. You could like see the baby in there. Like if you've been there as a dad, like you know what that looks like, like you just see like alien life form things coming out, you know. It's like a scene from Alien. You just expecting the claws to rip it open. I'm here. But John has a special connection to Jesus. As soon, as soon as Mary gets there, she's pregnant with Jesus. That means Jesus is there. And John leaps in the womb of his mother as soon as he's in the presence of Jesus. As a baby, in the, in the womb, John has a connection to Jesus. Now listen, here's the deal. We don't, we don't know a lot about John from, from this moment until he bursts onto the scene when he's in his, in his mid to upper 20s. But what we can assume is that at some point John went away and he got some training in, in the Hebrew scriptures. He, 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 he got some sort of training where he was trained as a, as, as a priest or, or as a, perhaps as a prophet of some sort. And when John bursts onto the scene a little bit later, we see that he kind of is the poster boy for all the crunchy, organic people. Now listen, you might be a crunchy, organic person meaning you just eat all organic everything. Your meals consist of rabbit food and bird seed and, and food that you convince yourself has flavor. And I'm not mad about it. More delicious things for me to eat. But your boy John takes it to a whole nother level. John would be like the awkward family member that you know was a little weird, right? Like you can smell the essential oils when they get out of the car. Because they don't use deodorant. It has aluminum in it.
1: They prefer their natural fragrance. John's that weird family member that like at the family potluck, You're not sitting at his table.
0: Matthew chapter three, verse four tells us about John. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt adorned upon his waist. He's fashionable. He's into accessories. And his food was locusts, wild honey. Now, if you, I grew up in the South in a Baptist church, y'all. We didn't do anything without a fellowship. And you can't have fellowship, everybody knows, in the name of the Lord, without food. Like, I don't know what people do when they fellowship without food. Like, what do you do?
1: Just sit there and,
0: well, Bill, how do you think about the weather today? Like, I don't know. Every time we got together to church, we had food. I'm just going to tell you this right now. There were some people at the Sunday fellowship that when, when she walked in, into the back door with a casserole, like everybody was lining up because you know that whoever that, and it's a, it's a different lady at every church, but whoever it is, she walks through the door with a casserole, and that dish is gone because it's so good. And then there's people like John. Ain't nobody eating with John cooking. They're the one that goes and picks up the casserole dish and goes, well, good grief almighty. I guess nobody wanted to eat this today. More for me later. Mm-hmm, good. And everyone's going, please take that. Throw it away. It is not fit for humans. Don't even let your dog eat that. John's the dude. He lifts the pot, and he's got a bowl of locusts and some honey. And he goes, "Mmm, I'm gonna tear into that. John's weird. I'm not saying that you're weird. Maybe I am. I'm just saying, if we have a church fellowship at some point, don't bring locusts and wild honey. Nobody will be your friend. Nobody will want to see you, know you, or love you. And if that's harsh, then go pray about it. John was a weird dude, he had a strange appearance, but he was preaching a message that was interesting. Matthew three, verse one says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was preaching this strange message. I mean, he, 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 was a, he was a thundering voice of opposition against so much of the religious system, against so much of the religious leaders. He was, he was proclaiming something that was out of the ordinary, that was unusual. It was something that caught the attention of people. Matter of fact, in verse five, it says, in Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized him by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. There was something about this, this wild preacher man who lived in the wilderness That look all kinds of strange and funky, that was proclaiming a message that resonated in a way that nothing the vain and hollow and empty words of the priests and the rabbis were saying resonated or connected. People responded. They started getting baptized, they were confessing their sins. The religious leaders eventually beginning to see that the crowds were were going out into the wilderness, leaving the town and going out into the wilderness to hear about this man named John. So here's what they do. They put a a committee together because everybody knows churches loves committees, especially Baptist churches. They got a committee on committees, y'all. They send a committee out to go see what's going on with this man, John. And they get there and John He calls calls them out as they come out to the crowd. He's got a crowd of people. He's preaching this message. And here come the religious leaders. You can't miss them because they dress in their Sunday best. They're trying to impress somebody by saying, look how fancy we are. And John goes, oh, snap, they hear. Let me tell you something, you brood of vipers. I mean, John just undresses them and accusing them. And he's he's angry at them because of their religious ways, peddling a dead religion that's not leading anybody to God. It's leading people away from God, which is what religion always does. They finally get over undeterred from the verbal assault. And they ask John, John, who are you, man? Like, this isn't, this is strange. This is weird. We're trying to figure out our. Are you the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament prophesied about? And John goes, no. I'll tell you who I am. John chapter one, verse 23. He said, he says, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean a lot to you or to me. But to these religious leaders, they would have known and recognized that this was a prophecy that was declaring what was going to happen before the Messiah was going to show up, that there was going to be a forerunner, someone who was going to be a voice in the wilderness that was going to declare, make straight, clear out the way, because the Lord is on his way. He's coming. And when John declared this, they would have recognized that it was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And this was ultimately the point of John's entire life. The point of his entire life, the reason why God told his parents that he was special, the reason why he was told he was gonna take this vow, the reason why he leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus came into the room is because his entire point was to have a connection to Jesus so that he could declare to the world that he is the Messiah. John's entire point was to proclaim a thundering message that was intended to call people away from their empty religious ways. I love the way John MacArthur says it, that John's John's ministry was to call the people away from the corrupt and dead religious system of their day, away from ritualism, worldliness, hypocrisy, and superficiality. That was John's role, that was his job, that was his life, that was his purpose. all of of this would ultimately crescendo on the very next day from this encounter with these religious leaders. When John had the opportunity to baptize Jesus, John 1, 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you were with us on Easter, we talked about the significance of the Passover lamb and Jesus being the Passover lamb. This is John declaring that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He's the first one to say it. Verse 30, then he says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. Well, hold on a second, John. You're older than Jesus. You were born before Jesus. How is it possible that Jesus would have come before you? If you read the scriptures and you know what the Bible says, then the Bible says that Jesus was the first and the last who was and is and is to come. He has always been. Elsewhere, John actually says in more graphic detail, he says, Jesus is the man who is so great, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal strap. So Jesus shows up to John, says, John, hey, man, what up, cuz? I'm going to need you to baptize me. John goes, uh uh-uh, I ain't going to do it. Jesus says, no, I I really need you to do it. John goes, no, uh uh-uh, I know who you are. And I know that you know who I am and that I'm not you. <laughs> Jesus says, I need you to do this because it, 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 this, this is what God the Father wants. It's, it's a prophecy can be fulfilled and, and so that all these things can begin to play out. And John finally goes, okay, I'll baptize you. And we see this significant moment, Mark chapter one. It says, it came to pass in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So Jesus... Comes to John, they go into the river. It's significant that we understand that in the Bible, the the only form of baptism that the Bible ever talks about is baptism by full immersion. That's significant. And any other type of baptism that doesn't involve being fully immersed in the water is not a biblical baptism. You can call it baptism if you wish, but it's not a biblical baptism. So Jesus shows up, John and him go down into the Jordan River, which someday, I'm gonna take you there if you wanna go and I'll baptize you there or you can have someone else baptize you there, whatever, in the spot, in the same river that Jesus was baptized in, which that would be freaking awesome. And so so John baptizes Jesus. He pushes him all the way under the water. He brings him back up out of the water. I want you to notice what happens, verse 10. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is so significant for us because what Jesus does here is he establishes the pattern that other followers of his are to follow. Once they, once they become a child of God. That what Jesus is doing in this moment, Jesus had known and he had believed that he was the Messiah. But, and he had shared it with a couple of his friends, but it had not been publicly declared yet until this moment. And the moment that Jesus is baptized, he knew it was necessary because God was gonna show up and God was gonna say, hey, this is my son and him I am well pleased. Jesus was allowing God the Father to publicly declare, to make a proclamation that this is not just any man, this is my son. He belongs to me, I am well pleased in him. And so it is, as we as followers of Jesus, when we get baptized, there's, there, there's nothing about baptism that makes you any more saved. Baptism is simply the opportunity to do two things. Number one, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Listen to me, if we can't follow in the footsteps of Jesus to be baptized, then we're going to struggle in things that require much greater obedience and much greater faith. Alright, so, so it's not, it's not a, it's not a critical thing, but God is trying to help you when you get saved. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Go to the Bible. What does Jesus do? Do your best to do what Jesus did. Live like He lived. And as you follow Him, He's gonna make you and shape you into the image of His Son. And so when we get baptized, we're simply declaring publicly something that we've already believed inwardly. Our faith is personal, but God never intended for it to be private. So baptism is an opportunity for us to just boldly proclaim, I belong to Jesus. And man, if you've not been baptized, I'd love for you to get baptized. We're baptizing again on June the 6th. You can go to website um, and, and, and man, we'll get you signed up and we'll get you going so that you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. No doubt this would have been an incredible moment for John. He would have expected after this that Jesus would have have immediately gone and began to do miraculous things, but that's not what happened. Now, we don't know exactly how long it was from the time that Jesus was baptized until he began performing miracles. We don't know how long that is, but it was a while. John thought that this was the moment his job was done. But Jesus didn't do what John thought he was going to do. And can I just tell you, if I can just be really honest, the, the places in my life where I begin to question the most, when I begin to doubt, is when Jesus doesn't do what I expected him to do. Or, or to put it in another way, Jesus doesn't do what I asked him to do when I was praying for him to show up and do a specific thing in a specific way. Let, let me put it in another way. I, get, I begin to question my faith and doubt when Jesus doesn't obey my commands. And as I begin to question, as I begin to doubt, what, where I begin to be convicted <laughs> is that I thought for a second I was God. God. I thought for a second that if I prayed for it, God would have to answer and respond. Hold up a second. I thought if I asked for more money in the bank, I thought if I prayed and asked that God would heal my marriage, I thought if I prayed that she would get healed, I thought all I had to do was pray it and it would happen. And when it doesn't, that's when I begin to doubt. After this moment with John, Shortly after, he goes to to King Agrippa. King Agrippa had gotten himself involved in a scandal because homeboy married his sister-in-law. I'm from Arkansas, and that's weird to me. John basically says, Hey man, you can't do that. I mean, John has got such boldness. He will go to one of the most powerful. He's so convinced in who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do as the Messiah to redeem and rescue and ransom and be the hero, to, to, to basically upset the whole thing and start a whole new order. He is so convinced in who Jesus is. He goes to the king and says, Hey man, I know I'm the wild, crazy, organic, essential oil, bug eating, honey smacking, belt wearing. Don't I look good though? Dude from the wilderness. And I'm I'm coming to tell you, you can't do that. You can't marry her. And king doesn't like it very much, so the king has John arrested. Now the king doesn't have John killed because the Bible actually tells us that the king was afraid of John because he recognized that John had some sort of power that most other people didn't have. And so the king arrested John and put him in prison. He was there for a while. Scholars, think that John would have been in that prison for a little over a year. And as he sat in that prison, conflicted With hold up a second, Jesus did not do what I thought he was going to do. I baptized him. I saw the dove, the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove. I heard the voice of God declare, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I believe I'm the one who is to declare, I know what my role is. I'm not confused in what my role is. Maybe I'm confused in who Jesus is. He begins to get to a point in that cell of loneliness and isolation begin to question everything why am I here? If Jesus was who I thought he was, why has he not overturned the government yet? If Jesus is who I thought he is, why am I here in this pitiful, miserable, painful, sucky place? If everything that I thought was true about Jesus was true, then I would not have to be here enduring this, suffering in this way. John knows that the king's not gonna have him killed, but he also knows the king isn't gonna let him go because it would make him weak, so John's gonna rot in this prison cell. Loneliness and isolation can do strange things to a person. Loneliness and isolation can cause us to question even the most fundamental things that we know to be true. Loneliness and isolation can cause us to question Whether it's day or night, it can cause us to lose track of time, it can cause us to lose track of morality, it can cause us to lose track of who we are and what our own identity. In the pit of loneliness and isolation is where we find anxiety and despair and depression. Loneliness and anxiety can cause reality and fantasy to blur where we can't tell the difference between what is real and what is not. If I can just pause for a minute and offer this, I believe that one of the primary reasons why people ultimately get to the point of questioning and doubting Jesus is because we have allowed ourselves to get into a pit of loneliness and isolation. That something happened, and instead of leaning into the pain so that we can get stronger, so that we can grow, so that we can try to heal and reconcile and restore something, when something that was painful happened, we recoiled, we backtracked, we took a step back. I don't like that pain. That doesn't feel good. I don't deserve pain. Who am I? I don't. I don't don't need to be pain. God doesn't want me to have pain. And so, so we believe that false narrative, and so we recoil and we backtrack. And eventually, what happens is we find ourselves all alone with nothing but our thoughts. And not just our thoughts, by the way. But the devil of hell tossing new ideas, new lies, new fabrications, spinning falsehood into fantasy, fantasy woven into reality, reality that is bathed and birthed and living
1: in lies. That's where John is.
0: After more than a year in that prison cell, some of the people that used to follow John they find a way to get a message to him and they say, hey, John, you're not going to believe this, but there are rumors swirling around about some stuff that your cousin Jesus is doing. I heard that he healed somebody who was on their deathbed. And I heard that, that there, was, there was a young man who was in a coffin. They were on his way carrying him to his funeral and Jesus walked by and looked into the coffin and saw the young man reached in and touched the young man and brought that young man back to life you're not going to believe the things that this, that Jesus is doing huh. instead of being overwhelmed with joy and hope John is frustrated So John sends his disciples to Jesus in John, or Luke chapter 7 verse 20. When the men, these are the two, two of John's disciples, when they had come to him, that's Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? you are saying, Jesus, you don't understand, man. We've been following John for a while. John has been bold. John has has stood up to the king. John has been proclaiming these messages. You remember, John was the one that baptized you. Jesus, you know, and you don't even know, he's in this prison now, and I can't even describe. He is emaciated, he's frail physically, he's weak, and he is questioning everything, Jesus. And he has sent us to you saying, are you who the Bible said that you are? Or did I miss it? Am I supposed to be waiting for, a, for another one? And here's what John knows. If Jesus replies and goes, no, you had it all wrong, bro. I'm not your guy. I'm not that dude then John can have hope knowing, well, if, I, if Jesus isn't that dude, then God has a plan and a purpose for me, which means I'm gonna get up out of this prison cell and, and, and then I'll go and I'll begin declaring, make straight the way of the Lord because it's somebody else that's coming.
1: What's amazing
0: is how this lands on Jesus. Now listen, if you have been in a situation where you have asked difficult questions to a religious leader, you know that you don't ask these kinds of questions to a religious leader. You don't ask these kinds of questions to highly religious people, because highly religious people will respond in such a way that'll make you feel dumb. Highly religious people will often respond in a way that will make you feel small and insignificant. They will respond in a way that will cause you to feel ashamed for how little and how small your faith is. They'll respond to you in condescending tones. Well, if you had enough faith, then you wouldn't ask that question. Or they'll say things that are really unhelpful, even maybe even with good intentions. Well, it's in the Bible and that's all you need to know. And you're like, listen, I've been trying to read the Bible and I can't make sense of it.
1: Have you read Leviticus?
0: The way Jesus responds to John tells us everything that we need to know that paints the picture of how much Jesus hates religion. Instead of brushing them off, instead of shooing them away, instead of then giving unhelpful answers or making them feel smaller and insignificant, this is what Jesus does. Verse 21, and that very hour he cured many of infirmities afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind, he gave sight. I mean, Jesus literally turns around and goes, that's a really good question. Let me show you something. He goes around and starts healing people left and right, bringing, I mean, there must have been a convention of people who had lost their sight, because it says that many blind people he gave sight to He's casting out demons of all of these people. I mean, one, right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. And then he turns and tells them this. Jesus answered, verse 22, and he says, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now here's, what we're, here's what's lost on us because unless you have been trained as an Old Testament scholar, you probably wouldn't have known this. But what Jesus just did is he just, he just fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 35 and verse five and six when he says that the Messiah will come and when he comes, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. John, Jesus says, hey, y'all, come here for a second. Let me show you something. This is about to be wild. You ready? Get your phones ready. This is going to go viral. Healed, 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 healed. Demon cast, demon cast, demon cast. Healing you blind. Sight, 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 sight. Healed, 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 healed. Now, come here for a second. I need you to do something. Y'all go tell John what you just saw. And you're not going to understand this but as soon as you tell him what you saw, he's gonna know that it's a fulfillment from the same prophet who prophesied that John would be the one who would be the voice crying out in the wilderness that says, make straight the way of the Lord. I am he, I am here, and I'm doing my work. And then Jesus closes it and says, before you go, let me tell you one more thing. Tell John this as well. Verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me.
1: Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Jesus isn't making
0: fun of John. Jesus isn't responding in anger, frustration. He's not belittling him. He's not being condescending. He's saying, I know it's tough because there are things about me that don't make sense in this world because I am not of this world. I created it. I made the rules and the laws of physics and nature and I can transcend it. And the things that I do will not always make sense. My timing is never going to be on your timing.
1: but I am who I said I am and happy is he who's not offended because of me. Jesus is saying, John, what's your question? Because I'll give you some answers.
0: So what do we take away from this? I think there's three things. The first thing I think that we take away from this is is that faith is not an event. It's a pursuit. I think so oftentimes, especially if you've come in and out of church, in and out of the concept of faith that, that we make such a big deal about the moment of salvation. If you'll just place your faith in Jesus, then you'll be moved from spiritually dead to spiritually alive and the Holy Spirit will come in you. You'll be a new creation, be made whole. And and all of those things are true. But I think that sometimes what we fail to do, the the, the people who aren't new in their faith with Jesus, people like me and people like some of you that I think that we fail to do is we fail to convey the idea that faith is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing pursuit. There's gonna be a never ending amount things that are going to challenge your faith there are going to be the moments edges of cliffs that you're going to come up to and you're not going to know what to do you're not going to know which way to go you're not going to know how to navigate it and God's saying I need you to trust me I need you to have faith in me matter of fact the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. You know what this verse means? It means that there are going to be things, that the evidence of your faith that you're going to be able to go, okay, this is real. I know, I can't deny this, I can't deny that, I can't deny this. God's word lines up this way. My experience lines up with God's word in that way. There are things I can't deny, but but it's the the evidence of things not seen, Meaning, meaning that sometimes, or I'm sorry, the substance of things that we hope for, faith is going to be the thing that get you through in the moments when, when the other things happen that you can't line up, you can't make sense of it. It doesn't square with your understanding of God, the Bible, faith, and Jesus. And in the process of faith, the pursuit of faith, is that, okay, Jesus, I know I have the evidence of what I have seen of your track record in the past, and I'm going to allow the track record of the past of my faith to point me and propel me in my faith to continue to trust you in the future in the things that don't make sense. Faith is not an event, it's a pursuit. Second thing I think that we need to understand that we take away from this is that faith is often forged by our doubts and it's fueled by our questions. John the Baptist. The dude who Isaiah prophesied about, the dude who left in his wo- in his mother's womb when Jesus walked in the door, the dude who was forced by God into a vow, the dude who spent his entire life telling people, preparing people for the Messiah to come had questions and he had doubts and God wasn't mad about it. The more we lean in into this process of following Jesus, the more that we're gonna have questions. Don't feel bad about those questions. The only way that you can screw it up is to not ask Jesus your questions. And when you see God, when you have moments of doubt and you get through that to the other side of it and you're able to look back and see the evidence of how God was with you, how God showed up, how God was in the moments, then those things that cause you to doubt God, the way he shows up in those doubts will often be the things that fuels you and forges your faith going forward. I love what Jeremiah says, 29 verse 13 such an incredible promise, he says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with
1: all your heart. I can't tell you how many times I've found this to be true in my life. The ways that I look back on my life and see how God has been present with I was four when my parents got divorced. I didn't
0: want that. I loved my parents to death, but most of my childhood, they were angry and frustrated at each other,
1: and I knew it. I didn't ask to be the shortest, fattest kid on the basketball team.
0: A kid just struggling to trying to find some sense of worth, some sense of value, some sense of identity, just trying to be in, in a crowd that, 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 that means something to me. And even if that means I have to be the butt of the joke on the in crowd, then that's okay because at least I'm in. I look back and see the, the breadcrumbs of how God was faithful when my dad and my stepmom went through a brutal divorce. When I was kicked out of my house as a freshman in college, not because I was partying or drinking or, or, or drugs or, or, or sleeping around or any of those things, just because we had a disagreement, my dad kicked me I had nowhere to go. I didn't want any of that.
1: But God tells us in his word. That if you seek me, your whole heart, I'll be there. And then he doubles down and he says, I will be found by you. I know that you're
0: human. God is saying, I know that there are things that don't make sense. God says, I know that you are living in a sin-cursed world that brings pain and misery and suffering and hurt. I never designed it like this for you.
1: But I see you and I know where you
0: are and I know the questions that you're asking. And I'm not some magical fix-it genie that just makes it all go away and makes it all better. But I will be there. And I will show you my presence. Ask your questions. Struggle through your doubts.
1: And watch me show up.
0: If I can be honest with you, the reason why pastors and leaders and churches and religion oftentimes have a hard time with difficult questions is because we don't have good answers. And oftentimes when people are going through difficulty, they want to reach out to somebody they can touch, see, talk to, physical, tangible. And I get it. It's part of the job. can I just tell you
1: something? You don't need a pastor. You need God. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I love what St.
0: Augustine said. When it comes to questions about God and doubts and, Struggles and frustrations, he said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it.
1: Let it loose, and it'll defend itself. The truth of who God is, the truth of who Jesus is, is found in his word. And it is evidence in your story.
0: So press into your doubts, ask your questions. This week, we're gonna post something on social media that's gonna provide some great resources for you to go to, to ask some questions, to answer some questions I, I can't answer. I'm not smart enough to answer, but I'm thankful for people who've done the work.
1: The last thing I want you to know when you walk out the door today is this. Religion All religion wants from you is power. And it rejects
0: your curiosity. Religion says, don't ask those questions. Religion says, why is your faith so small? Religion says, what's the matter with you? Religion says, well, just read the
1: Bible, it's in there. But Jesus? What Jesus wants is intimacy. Jesus encourages your curiosity.
0: The anchor verse for our church, John 17, three says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is Jesus praying, talking to God the Father. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you peek under the covers a little bit of this verse. This word know is the Greek word ginosko. What it means, what it's translated to mean is not know like I know all of you. It means know like I know my wife and we have three kids because of it, wink, wink.
1: It means a growing, intimate, personal relationship. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants with you. He's
0: not intimidated by your questions. He's not frustrated by your doubts. He is a friend that sits closer than a brother, a very present help in time of need. He is the strong tower that we can run into and be safe.
1: Today, Jesus is telling you, ask your question.
0: Today, I wanna ask you a question. Do you know Jesus like this? Or have you been holding on to empty dead religion that all it wants is power and rejects your curiosity? The reality of it is that the decision is ours today. How we're going to view and how we're going to frame God, either through the lens of religion that will never lead us closer to him
1: or through the lens of relationship that can't help but draw us closer to his heart.
0: At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.